The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So once again, Psalms chapter 4, page 448. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your own beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Great to be with y'all. Glad you made it today. Excited to share God's word with you. Before we get there, let's pray. Ask God for help as we look at his word. Lord God, we love you. We thank you that you are a speaking God. You communicate yourself to us. And and not only that, you give us what we need for every situation, God, for every struggle. And so, Lord, um, I pray that as we go through this passage together today that your Holy Spirit would preach a better sermon than I ever could, Lord. Uh, You alone know where everybody is at in their mind, in their heart, their emotions, Lord, and I pray just that you do ministry to us and uh, call us to yourself, speak deeply to us, show us your beauty, your glory, so that we could rejoice in you and have the benefits that you're promising in this psalm today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. have Have you ever been so distressed by life that you couldn't sleep? Right? Um, That can come from a lot of different causes, can it? It could be uh, a lot of times it's relationships in your life. They're broken or there's controversy or there's criticism and uh, it's just swimming around your mind. You can't sleep. Sometimes it's situations. Uh, It could be financial stresses. It could be trouble at work. It could be a sickness that you don't know how to handle. Other times it could be like a... uh, an internal crisis, you could be full of regret over something you've done, or you could be doubting your significance or your identity or your, your place in life. Um, but it can get so bad that you can't even sleep. And you know what, maybe it's even worse for some of us at Christmas. Can't even sleep. And, and you know what it feels like, don't you? It spins in your head and then you get this icy coldness in your guts and it makes you like want to fetal up in the, and, uh, and suck your thumb there all alone. And you're like, I'm supposed to be grown up and competent now, and I can't sleep. And then you finally do fall asleep, and it, and it smacks you in the face about five seconds before you wake up. Wow. So I'm, I'm getting some nodding heads. Evidently, I'm not the only one that's ever felt this before. We're continuing our Christmas series. We're calling it Peace on Earth, right? And we're echoing what the angels sang at Jesus' birth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, 
peace among those with whom he's well pleased. And as we hear that, we, we've noticed the irony or the paradox, right? It's, it's just like Christmas today on every other Christmas card, peace. And then you look out in the world and in our relationships and in our hearts and go, where's the peace? Where is it? Well, the, the biblical authors weren't it grow up to be crucified, but they insisted that in the coming of Christ, peace had fundamentally come in a new way. It's come, and it's going to grow. It's going to increase. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at how peace starts. It starts with peace with God through Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Last week, we talked about peace in our community and what knowing our unification with Jesus can mean for how we relate to one another. And today, we're talking about peace in our hearts during times of distress. So let me just clarify that again. Peace in our hearts during times of distress. And if you're like me and you're imagining peace, you're thinking of times with no distress. Wouldn't that be peaceful? But um, unfortunately, you can't say to the planet, please stop, I'd like to get off. And as long as you're on this planet, there will be distress. Uh, Sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less. But if we're gonna have peace in this life, real peace in our hearts, it will need to be a kind of peace we can have in the midst of distress. Now that'd be something special, wouldn't it? Uh, Is that even possible? How would you get that? Well, evidently, according to our psalm today, not only is it possible, it's uh, an invitation to you to have peace in distress. Uh, It's not an easy button. It's more of a process, but I do think it is a promise that God's people can have peace in their hearts in distress. So we're gonna be in Psalm 4 today, and I gotta tell you, I am both frustrated and fascinated by the Psalms. Frustrated, why am I frustrated? Have you ever been invited to the party, and you looked at some of the people, and you know how it is, human beings, we're like, eh, about some of the people. You don't do that? Yeah. Uh, and then you're like, oh, it might be cool to be friends with some of them, but you don't really know them, so you stand next to the wall with your phone. And then you have to make this choice, like, do I engage or do I just go home? Psalms are frustrating because they're a party like that. So here's my untheological picture of a psalm for you. It's God hosting a community event for your heart. The psalms are God hosting a community event for your heart. It's like a party in a way. It's a fellowship. It's a hangout around a theme, helping you, helping us work through something together with God hosting all of it. And so just like to engage in that party, you'd kind of have to get to know the people there. It's kind of like that with Psalms. We need to get to know the, the people in the party of Psalm 4, if you will. So you heard it read. Uh, who's the author? We want to pay attention to what the editors are telling us. Look right before verse 1. It's a psalm of? Of David. Is that important to know? The editors thought it was, right? Who, who's David? Why is he notable? Well, he's, he's God's anointed king, and he plays this huge role for the people. He, wants to, he leads the, exa- the people as an example, and hopefully God's anointed king will be an example of how to love God and how to follow God through all that life brings so, so the people can learn from that king and follow his lead. 
So you've got David, who else is at this party? Who's he talking to? Verse one, answer me when I call, oh, oh God. So God is in this psalm. Uh, Not only is he in this psalm, boy, if you think of how you understand scripture, who inspired this psalm and put it in here? Read a psalm to realize that God is talking to you through somebody else who's talking to God. Did you catch that? God is talking to you through somebody else who's talking to God. And so he's hosting this environment and this party where people are coming to him in certain ways. And so we're watching and learning. And so God is bringing us in together. It's a community event for our hearts. So there's David, there's God. Who else is in here? Well, in this psalm, there's this audience with a mixed crowd in it. Some of them he seems to be talking to his enemies, So in Israel, right, everybody goes to church back then. It's a religious nation. So even the good guys and the bad guys are at worship sometimes. And so there's a a barb thrown at the the evildoer sometimes in the Psalms. And so if you're the evildoer, you're supposed to go, was that for me? And if sometimes you're an evildoer like me, (laughs) how, how does this fit for me? Then there's encouragements for the faithful. So that's supposed to encourage you if you're faithful. And it's also supposed to have you ask, am I faithful? How do I fit in to this event? There's David, there's God, there's this crowd. But look back up at what the editor again said in verse one. To the who? Who's this written to? The choir master. Who's that guy? Well, I don't know, but I, I think we have a clue on his job description. What's he do? He writes songs. And so, so who are they for? They're for the, the, whole, the whole crowd of God's people, the faithful. So isn't it weird? You're reading like a journal entry of one guy's prayer, and yet it turns into this event for all the people that is supposed to be heard and, and meditated upon and engaged with. So then finally we get, we get to us however many thousands of years later. And we're looking from the outside in on this community event for our hearts. And what's the theme all about? How can you have peace in your heart in the midst of distress? And so we come in, good news and bad news. The bad news, I guess, point one is, if David had distress, and if it's expected that all of Israel might someday experience distress to where they can't sleep, and it's put in the, the hymnody, so it's like, y'all need to know this one day. Here's the bad news. If you've had so much distress to where you can't sleep, guess what? That's normal. That's normal. I know, I just, I, I broke your, your Christian dreams, Right? I just broke your Christian dreams. When you come to Jesus, right, you get to know God, you repent, you trust in him, distress is over forever, right? (laughs) Peace, it's Christmas, right? Peace, you just hit the peace button and, you know, you're Joel Osteened up and every day's a Friday and (laughs) it's your best life now and you're just floating along and I don't know if you read the psalm. Uh, Distress to the point where you can't sleep is normal, that's that's bad news. (laughs) But there's good news, because guess what? 
In distress, God is throwing this community event for your heart, for our hearts, so that in distress, that's even so bad we can't sleep, we can have peace. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. So I'm frustrated and fascinated by the Psalms, mostly fascinated as I walk into this party, and I hope you'll walk into it with me. I'm gonna, we're gonna walk through it in, in four stages. Um, how to have peace even in distress. Number one, realistic expectations. Number two, the reality of your relationship with God. You need to know the reality of your relationship with God. Number three, focus on faithfulness. Number four, then number two, Know the reality of your relationship with God. Lean on it, rely on it. Number three, focus on faithfulness. And number four, find what you're looking for. So here we are. First of all, realistic expectations. We've covered this already. But you see from the clues in the psalm that David is in distress, and it probably it comes from, uh, he mentions why in verse two. He says, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? David often had very powerful people. The Hebrew uh, behind the word men tends to be men of strength or men with influence. So he has powerful people working against him. They're slandering him to others and they're trying to destroy him. If you read about his life in First and Second Samuel, you'll see um, it's there all over the place. It's, it's not only there in David's life, it's there in the surrounding Psalms. So if you look at Psalm three, verses one to two, there David says, oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. So probably in this Psalm, the source of David's distress is all of these enemies slandering him, coming against him, demeaning him, trying to ruin him. And if you've ever had even just one of those, you know that can ruin your sleep. It can. He's in distress. And why do I say he can't sleep? Well, when he says, in peace I'll lie down and sleep at the end of the psalm, I don't think you say that if it's your normal experience. Why is he celebrating in peace? I will lie down and sleep. Because before that, he had no peace and he couldn't sleep. That's what I think. So he's in distress due to uh, these challenges, and that's normal. I wanna show you how normal that is for Christians. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 8. 2 Corinthians 1, 8. Look at what the Apostle Paul said. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we what? We despaired of life itself. I don't know all the way what that feels like, but that sounds pretty low. It sounds pretty low. And if that's true for David and the Apostle Paul, guess what? This life is gonna bring distress. It's normal. Is it good to have uh, realistic expectations? Is that important? Is that loving of God to give us realistic expectations? You know, imagine you, uh, you're going to a room that you're gonna be living in for a while. A room you're gonna be living in for a while. And you walk in and it's kinda like, it's two and a half stars. Got, you know, it's a comfy bed, but eh, there's no view really. Uh, a microwave, okay? Two and a half stars, you get in there. Um, if you were going there for your honeymoon, how do you feel? This is terrible, oh, okay. <laughs> you got me. You got me. If you were going there for some flashy vacation, how do you feel? You're disappointed, right? It's two and a half stars, I wanted five, okay? What if you go in there as a cellmate? Oh, not so bad. 
okay? If you have expectations about the Christian life that there won't be distress and you get it, all the questions will come out like, where is God? How can God be good? This is a fraud. This is a, you know, and it's never promised. We will have, we will have distress. So it's okay, take a deep breath. If you can have God's peace in your distress, he will hear your prayers, just realistic expectations. That's the first point here from this psalm. Hey, people, that's gonna happen. That's gonna happen. Number two, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? When you have distress so that you can't sleep, what do you do with it? Binge Netflix, right? It's not gonna work. What do you do with it? And look what David does in verse one. I love this verse. I'm intrigued by this verse. I'm fascinated by this verse. Answer me when I what? Call, O God of my righteousness. Baby step one, call out to God. Call out to him. Do you guys have different uh, passion levels in your prayer life sometimes? We're about to eat lunch. The food's getting cold. Hey, let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, thanks for the food. Amen. Okay. Fine. That's not calling out to God like this. This is, this is like, uh, if you could, grabbing God by his shirt and saying, please look at me, listen to me. I need you, I've got nothing. Help me. That's, that's the attitude behind this. Please, I need you, I've got nothing. Call out to God. You call out to him. But not only that, you call out. This verse shows me I don't even know how to pray. Answer me when I call, oh God, what's the next three words? Of my righteousness. So this is, this is so important to the psalm. David is saying, you're supposed to listen to me, God, for a certain reason. Here's why I expect you to listen to me and help me in my distress is because you and I both know, God, that you're the God of my righteousness. David is appealing to the nature of his relationship with God as the source of why God should listen to him and come to his aid. You're the God of my righteousness. What does that mean? What does it mean? You have to think about what God is like, who God is like, and the nature of your relationship with him, where you stand with him. Where do you stand with him? I wanna unpack just briefly a little bit of the theme of God's righteousness. And I'm only gonna do it from a few little pieces from other Psalms that David wrote. And I want you to follow along with me because it's, I think it's deeper and richer at least than, than I'm used to, and maybe it will be that way for you. First of all, Psalm 711. Again, what does it mean that God is righteous? Psalm 711. This is part we're maybe used to. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. So here we look at um, righteousness as a description of what God loves, and he loves what is good and what is holy and what is just. We have that idea probably in our minds. And he's righteous. So you ever watch the news or read an article and you see some horrid evil being done again and again and the poor are oppressed and, and this happened and you feel a little bit of anger. How can this be? Have you ever felt that before? That's, that's good, a righteous anger. But here's the thing for me and you, we live in the gray a little bit. 
how many of you love evil occasionally on the side? You do. Um, Imagine being so pure as God, so holy and righteous as God, and then viewing the unrighteousness of the world. And that's why David says he's a God who feels indignation every day. I mean, and I think David was being brought here. Can God get through 10 seconds of being all-knowing without being angry at unrighteousness? No way. He's a righteous judge. But that's just, that's just level one. Look at Proverbs, or Psalm 24, verse 5. 24, verse 5. There David says, those who seek God will receive blessing from the Lord, and what? Righteousness. So all of a sudden, it's gone from a character aspect of God to a gift from God. That's different. That's different. And we know, we know David, right? Sometimes when he writes all about righteousness, we're, we're, we got our smirk on. You ever smirked at David's Psalms when he's talking about righteousness? Why is that? Bathsheba, <laughs> right? We know you. We know your story. You're not all that righteous all the time. How can this be? Well, here you go. Those who seek God can be given righteousness. How about this? Psalm 23, verse three. I know you've heard this before. There David says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of what? Righteousness. So now here's God not only giving the unrighteous righteousness, those who seek him, but then leading them in a lifestyle of righteousness. It's not like they're all by themselves in this. He's going before them. He's moving them along. He's actively involved in their life of righteousness. And look at the motivation of God in this. Another just popping kind of a phrase. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? You could say, well, because he loves me. Oh, okay, that's not what it says. For his name's sake. So then you have, to, you have to think, which is hard, which is why the Bible is hard. You have to think. God's motivated by having a reputation, by people knowing who he is and what he's like. And God has somehow connected his reputation to David's life of righteousness because God leads David in righteousness for God's namesake, right? And so this has to be a deep commitment from God to David where God is saying, I'm righteous, I'm giving you righteousness, I'm leading you in righteousness, and I am committed to your righteousness as much as I am committed to my own name. Do you see how righteousness is deep waters here? Let's do one more. Psalm 31.1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your, what? Righteousness, deliver me. What is David's logic here? 
God is righteous, and so therefore God will deliver him. Why? Is it because David deserves it? Is it because he's always righteous in his behavior? No, it's because I take refuge in you. I trust you, therefore in your character, take care of me. It's God's, how would you sum this up? Righteousness is a covenant relationship with God. It's a covenant relationship with God. This where David seeks God, takes refuge in God, and God gives David righteousness, leads David in righteousness, protects David in his righteousness. It's amazing. And that is the heartbeat behind the prayer of Psalm 4, which means, again, this is a community event for your heart. You're supposed to pray this along with him. Which means when you're in distress and you can't sleep and you call out to the Lord, you're now being taught to appeal to the nature of your relationship with God, like David does. Do we know how to pray, oh God, hear me, because you're the God of my righteousness? Because we're committed to one another. Ultimately, you've been committed to me. It's amazing. Third step. Here David begins to address the crowd, I think. Um, verses two and verses three, it's kind of a repeat of one. You've given me relief when I was in distress, right? You're my righteous God, you've done it before. Be gracious to me and hear my prayers, verse three. He, he's, he then kind of tells himself, tells the crowd, the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. So David has this relationship with God. God has chosen him, brought him to himself. The Lord hears when I call him. He's heard me, he'll hear again. So now it's kind of this movement from a prayer into a proclamation. In the next few verses, he's gonna talk about a lifestyle and, and how we handle this situation. In the first one, he seems to be jabbing a little bit his enemies, which is a strange way to think, but he says, um, you know, what was it, verse two, Oh man, how long will my honor be turned to shame? How long will you seek after vain words and seek after lies, right? So in a way, he's either in his heart or in some way he's, he's, uh, he's going after the, the hypocrites, the slanderers. And then he also says, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself and he hears when I call. What is that about? What an incredible lesson for our hearts. Hey people, you who are after me, God fights for me in his righteousness. And I don't know, is it, is it like a, a playground or something? Do you ever have a friend in the playground where if somebody hit your friend, like what were you gonna do? You were gonna stand up for your friend. Or you, you got a little brother? Okay, somebody messes with your little brother. What are you gonna do? You can get in their way. Is David saying, hey, do you realize how much God loves me? If you keep messing with me, guess who your enemy might be? Do you see how secure he is in his set-apartness? And then in the psalm, there's this kind of thing for whoever hears it. Am I that guy? Am I the slanderer? Am I coming against God's people? Is God upset with me for mistreating people he delights in? Try that on in local church. Can you imagine? Have you ever been mean to a fellow church member and then pondered that Jesus loved that person enough to die for them and rise for them and has forgiven them? and it's gonna take them to be with him forever, and that he might not be very happy with you mistreating the one he loves? 
You see how it, it echoes out? In, in a way, you're the one he loves, right, if you trust him. And he fights for you like that. And in a way, you need to make sure you're acting appropriately with others that he loves. What, what a just an echo from this psalm. And so that's why this next section is focusing on faithfulness as you wait. It's focusing on faithfulness as you wait. So you've called out to God, saying, God, hear me, answer me. And now as you wait for him, you focus on faithfulness. Are you faithful? Are, are you righteous with God? So look at verse four. What an amazing verse. What's it say in verse four? Be angry and don't sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. There you are in your bed again, you're trying to sleep and people are mistreating you or your circumstances are ugly. You've got these things and your heart, you can't sleep, you have no peace and part of what you have working in you is anger. Anybody been there before? Come on. How many of you were there last night, okay? I mean, you just, it's stirring in you. And what happens, right? So there is, be angry, he says, be angry. Can and should we be angry in a manner or in a way when the world is unjust and cruel and wicked? Well, yes, if you never got angry at evil, something's wrong with you. You're supposed to be. But here's the problem with being angry at evil. In our own anger, our own evil pops up. Because why does he have to say, be angry and do not sin? You ever been so angry with somebody at something evil they did to you that you decided to show how righteous you were by doing evil back to them? Just, just take your last gossip encounter. <laughs> Somebody did something evil to you and you are outraged at how evil they are. And so you tell someone else about it, about how evil that person is. What's that called? A lot of times that's called gossip. And what is gossip? Evil. It's on all the sin lists. So you were so angry at their evil that you decided to show your righteousness by being evil. Somebody says something mean to you. I've done this before. I'm so good at this. Somebody says something mean to you and you are outraged at their evil because you are an upstanding righteous person. And the way you're gonna get back at them is by speaking evil in return. Maybe it's not righteousness I love so much as my own pride. So David is so wise here. He knows when you're in distress, Ponder in your own heart, meditate for a second, think on this, be angry, okay, you're angry, and yet, don't sin. When anger turns to bitterness, that's sin. Unforgiveness, that's sin. Revenge, that's sin. You remember how often you're allowed to get revenge, people of God? I think the word in Romans 12 is never. Never. Ponder in your heart. What am I feeling? How is this coming out? Be angry and don't sin. Paul echoes this in Ephesians 4, 26. And he gives a little more to it. But he, he sees David's uh, in bed, right? He's trying to sleep. Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the what? The sun go down on your anger. He's gotta be thinking of Psalm 4. Don't go to sleep until you've taken care of that till you've let some light in on that. And, and then the language he gives is almost shocking. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to who? 
the devil. That's so strong that if you let anger fester in yourself during moments like these, you are letting in someone you probably don't wanna play with who wants to make things worse. So that's why I say this part of the psalm is, as you call out to God and you wait for him to answer you, focus on faithfulness. You're trusting his faithfulness to you. He's the God of your righteousness. And so then you're hammering down on faithfulness to him in your heart, in how you're processing it, in how you're responding to it. So verse five, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. That's another theme I'd love to take more time to unpack someday. What do right sacrifices mean in the Psalms? Is he talking about make sure you cut up the cow just the right way as you offer the sacrifice? No, he's talking about your heart as you go through the external practice. So if you want, read Psalm 50 later. And the right sacrifice there is thankfulness, gratitude to God, even for enabling you to live the way you're supposed to live. Gratitude to God, or Psalm 51, the sacrifice there is a, is a sacrifice of humility before God, a broken and a contrite heart. But here's, a, here's what's amazing. If you're full of thankfulness and you're full of humility, what happens to anger? It deflates that balloon, doesn't it? It deflates it. If you're humble and you're thankful, the anger will, will be changed and transformed. Focus in on faithfulness. Realistic expectations. Looking at the nature of your relationship with God. Calling out to him on that basis. Focus on faithfulness. Now we begin to find what we're looking for. Look at verse six. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Uh, commentators say, at least some, this first part of the question, verse six, is, is a bit of a hopeless skepticism as you're in distress. And, and you can imagine how that happens, right? You're in distress, you can't sleep. Who will show us some good? You, you know the questions. Does God really love me if he's letting this happen to me? Is God really present? Does God really hear? Who can show me some good? Then there's this turn into Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Lift up the light of your face. I'll show you why I think this is a turn in a move. But first of all, think about these words, the light of your face. These are more themes that just need to be unpacked. You need, you need time in the Psalms. It's like going to the Getty Art Museum or something. You need to sit and just stare. Lift up the light of your face. Light, what do you get from light? So much, right? It's a huge illustration, but there's life there. You can't have life without light. There's clarity there, truth, meaning. There's um, character there, holiness, purity, um, warmth. It's just beauty. All right there, lift up the light. Now think of your face, the light of your face, oh God. Now our Father in heaven has no nostrils, <laughs> he doesn't have eyeballs, but we're speaking in these human kind of languages because you know what it's like to have somebody look you in the face. My babies will get like physical with me on this sometimes. They're trying to tell you something and you're distracted. You ever had your kid just go, 
you know, hands on the cheeks, look at me. Or, or my wife, I hate to say it, right? Look, can we talk, right? Attention, attention. And now plug this in to God. God lifts up the light of his face to you. Lift up the light of your face to us. This is the heartbeat of what it means to be God's people. It really is. Look at the priestly blessing from number six. The priestly blessing, number six, 22. The Lord said to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. Verse 25, the Lord make his what? His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you, hello, what? Peace. Peace. So they shall put my name on the people of Israel, as if you could say, oh God of my righteousness, and I will bless them. The face is what satisfies. The face is what satisfies. A couple weeks ago, I was playing uh, poker with some guys, and they started talking about Mike Trout. You know who he is. Probably the best baseball player in the world. He plays for the Angels. For those of you kind of in this section, that's a baseball team. (laughs) He is an excellent baseball player. And everything you ever hear about him, he gets raised for his humility. He is a kind, humble person. And so their story was, there's this little league thing and they got all these kids into the room with Mike Trout and how he stays there till every single kid is taken care of, looks him in the face, signs his name on the thing and just blows everybody away with how kind he was. And for me as I'm sitting there listening to these kind of old guys just giggle with joy about Mike Trout paying attention to them, it, it it kind of, the light bulb went on above my head. Because human, whether or not you're into baseball, human beings are thrilled when people we find notable notice us. We're thrilled. It might not be baseball for you. It might be rock and roll. It might be a business person. It might be a preacher. It might be whoever. If you find somebody really notable and they notice you and value you, that will thrill you. What if your face was in his eyeballs? What if your mind was on his mind? What if your name passed through his lips? What if you had his presence, the light of his face on you? What if, and here's the high point of the psalm, and it's the high point of life itself. Verse seven. You have put more, what, joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. From one perspective, David's enemies are powerful and maybe they have lots of grain and wine. They won the lottery. And what does David have right now in the psalm? Distress. But as David calls out to the Lord's God, 
focuses on faithfulness and then finds the face. He says, I will take my distress and leave your lottery because I have God and I'm thrilled. I'm satisfied. I wouldn't trade. And you guys, this is at least partly why God's people go through distress. You realize this? This is why God allows you to go through distress. Because we lean on these things in our lives. Good things, people liking us, comfort, good job, good things, God's good gifts. And we think, hey, I'm all right, and I'm pretty happy, and then God starts to kick them out when you start to lean, kicks out another one, starts to lean, kick out another one. And they're, and they're not satisfying you anymore, and you waver, and you wonder, where do I go? And then you find the face of God, and you realize, you make me happier than all that stuff. And this is the core of what it means to be God's people, okay? God's not, people who aren't God's people love God's gifts. That's easy, anybody can do that. Those who are God's people love God more than his gifts. To where David ends this psalm where he was in distress and can't sleep and says, I'm happier than they are when they win the lottery. I don't even need it. I found the face. I'm satisfied in God himself. And then verse eight, he's like, good night. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Look what he has now. Does he have security? You're the God of my righteousness. You lead me. You protect me. You care for me. You're committed to me. I'm safe. Does he have satisfaction? I have your face. That's all I need. Good night. Peace. Peace. Do you see how this works? Let's be skeptics just for a minute. You read through here, you're supposed to focus on faithfulness and you're like, I haven't been very faithful. How's your grade point average on be angry and don't sin? Or maybe you're just like, why would I believe that a psalm written by an Israelite king 23,000 years ago, I don't know, a long time ago, why does that have anything to do with my life? Why should I read this like it can be mine? Or maybe you say, you know what? I, God wants people to delight in him. I'm not sure I do. I'd... Why is this party for you? Why are you invited to it? You're not, you're not an ancient Israelite. How do, you, how do you get in the door to this party? Why are these promises of peace for you? Why is even peace possible? There's one more voice you need to hear. There's one more person at this party and he's the one who opens the door, and he's the life of the party. Uh, he's ultimately the host, and this psalm is his. And you know his name. His name is Jesus. I don't like the psalms until I read them with Jesus next to me. But when I do, I'm in love. Because they're his psalms first. 
Think about the biblical storyline, right? God's gonna save people from their sin through Abraham and his family, through the, through the nation, through the king. Through the king, there's gonna be a son of David who reigns forever. And then you read the gospels and you see this man and his life and how he fulfills these prophecies. And, and who is Jesus? Matthew says of him, he's the son of David, which means ultimately this is Jesus' psalm. Think of it that way. This is Jesus' psalm. And then you walk through it again. Did, did he go through distress? People hating him? Slandering him? Oh, my word, right? Uh, to, to torture, to betrayal, to hanging on a cross. How did he handle it? Did he call out to the God of his righteousness? Oh, yes. You think of his time in the garden. My father, take this cup from me. Did he focus on faithfulness as he waited? Did he have to go through times of distress? Uh, Peter tells us, you know, when, when he was slandered, when he was beaten, when he had his beard pulled out, when he had thorns pressed into his head, did he revile in anger? Did he get revenge? Uh, one, one phrase pops out to me when they were driving nails into him. Father, forgive them. He's the one who was faithful as he waited. Did he delight in his father? Who's the only one who's ever actually loved God with the love that God deserves? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And yet, did he get to lie down in peace? No, he hung there in wrath. The father didn't take the cup from him. He took upon himself all the wrath and condemnation that we deserve. All the ways I haven't delighted in him, haven't been faithful, haven't looked to him, have doubted him, have slandered him. He did not sleep in peace so that we could. And yet God delivered him in the resurrection. He rose from the dead. And then through the lens of Jesus, you look back, and the one who rose from the dead says, hey, all those Psalms, what, what does Jesus quote when he gets cut? Psalms, it's his favorite part of the Bible. I don't know that it's his favorite, that's probably not theologically accurate. <laughs> he really likes them, okay? <laughs> Quotes them constantly. They're his Psalms, he relied on these. Uh, and as a resurrected son of God, that means these things are worth something. Not only that, when you trust yourself to him, all of a sudden the light goes on. How, how can you be righteous with God? You look at how you've lived, what you've thought, what you've said, what you've done. If you stood before God according to his law, would you, would you be righteous? For me, I would get guilty. And then you think of, well, what, what was Jesus dying for? He gave you his righteousness. When you see that God gave up his own son to make you righteous, do you see the cost that was paid to make you righteous? Can you not pray to God, O oh God of my righteousness? How invested is God in your righteousness? What could he possibly do to show you that he's totally invested? In Jesus, this psalm is yours. 
Speaking of uh, finding the face, look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus. Find the face. Find him knowing your name, dying for your sins, making you right, interceding with you, or interceding for you, reigning for you, returning for you, all about you, working in your life. He's the God of your righteousness. If you can find the face, you'll find satisfaction in the middle of distress, and you'll have peace. You'll have peace. Let's wrap it up. How can we know God's peace in the midst of distress? Call out to God, the God of our righteousness in Jesus Christ. Focus on faithfulness because you're satisfied in his face. It may help you sleep in peace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your great promises, for the gift of your son, for how he uh, makes these psalms ours, how they belong uh, to us in him, how we're invited into the room to know you in this way. And I pray for my friends, Lord, experiencing distress that your Holy Spirit would enable them to not only understand but to experience what you wanna give them in the psalm and that we would enjoy your peace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com.